Now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. Phil's back. Bonjour. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> oh, back from his European excursion. Thanks for doing that. We really appreciate you being our... Um, Field correspondent? A field yeah. correspondent, yeah, yeah. That was great. You didn't even have to pay him for it. <laughs> uh, yeah, welcome back, guys. Uh, Barstool Politics. I'm your host, Nick McGuire, joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College, who is now back because I said that already. Hi, guys. Hey, Nick. Hi. Howdy. Hi. Hi. Um, yeah, before we get into anything, another, another busy week. Um, if you like the podcast, uh, want to know what we're up to, have questions, suggestions, uh, comments, anything like that, follow us on Twitter at uh, Barstool Paul P O L, uh, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Um, I'm assuming Facebook is going to be going out of business in the next few weeks, anyways. After today, they, they lost they lost some money, huh? Lost a little bit of money, yeah, like billions upon billions of. I think it's like a hundred billion dollars. That that'll hurt. That'll hurt a little yeah. bit. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> um, Beers that we try, uh, you can find on the Untapped app on iOS and Android, so follow us on there. We're just Barstool Politics. Uh, the podcast itself, uh, check it out on SoundCloud and Stitcher and Google Play Music and most major podcasting platforms. And then definitely on iTunes, which is where most of you guys are. Um, share us and review us and like us. You can't like us on there, but you know, be nice. Just say you like. Just put like in quotation marks in the <laughs> comments and five stars. Yes, We'll take that as, as a win. Um, yeah, we, we're, it's so many capital letters this week. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, so many. It's really frightening. Um, Russia, Iran, um, tariffs, uh, farmers. Tapes. Tapes. tapes, Lots of tapes. Lots of tapes. (laughs) Lots of good things to talk about. So. Want to, um, we, let's just start. So yeah. it, we'll start on the international front, and then we'll move our way back in. But let's start with this. So on Tuesday, President Trump tweeted, quote, I'm very concerned that Russia will be fighting very hard to have an impact on the upcoming election based on the fact that no president has been tougher on Russia than me. They will be pushing very hard for the Democrats. They definitely don't want Trump. <laughs> I, I read that tweet, and that was that was like days of thinking about that tweet. Now, later in the day, speaking to a group of the VFW, he reminded the audience, quote, just remember what you're seeing and what you're reading is not what's happening. Again, he's just messing with our minds. That's insane. It is, yes. Yeah. Now, that had to make me feel a little better because late Sunday night, I thought I read an all-caps tweet from the president in which he threatened war with Iran. Specifically, he said, quote, never ever threaten the United States again or you will suffer consequences the likes of which few throughout history have ever suffered before. You, you didn't yell that, Bill. No. Well, that's just <laughs> to yell that. That's right. I guess it was all caps. Uh, but again, he only said that if I believe what I'm seeing and reading, we've entered a weird place. Up is down, black is white, and the president believes he could bend reality and no one's going to notice. 
While that's all in fine and dandy for a George Orwell novel, we're living in a world where there are real consequences for the president's foreign policy actions. Maybe, Phil, why don't you start us off? So you weren't here last week. You've been on assignment in Paris. Uh, what, what are we to make of all of these developments? Russia, Iran. Uh, what are the what are the Parisians saying? What's you know? What, what was your reaction to all of this over the last couple of weeks? It's it, we we like you said we live in a weird world where I was both totally shocked, like disbelief, <laughs> and also this seems right. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I <laughs> The, the, I mean, the level of insanity this this week, going back to the the Putin press conference, the the part that is mind boggling to me is the extent to which he changes his story every like six hours. Right. Yeah. So, first of all, it's not the Russians that are doing it, or at least I'm not sure it's the Russians. There are Putin lots says of other people. <laughs> yes. Right. A, lot, a lot of people out there. Yeah. <laughs> and then he came back a la Charlottesville sort of and like walked that back in a weird way and then with the, <laughs> I don't remember was the wood wouldn't that that was before yeah, yeah that was yeah. so um yeah with the wood wouldn't thing and now he's back you know now he's back to saying the Russians are trying to intervene he's he's pissed but he's not gonna he won't acknowledge that the Russians are intervening but in the tweet he says they are intervening on behalf of the Democrats <laughs> but they don't want Trump big time no <laughs> they don't want Trump and it doesn't I don't I guess my thought is, does this matter anymore? <laughs> like, I don't. So I, I see this. I, I imagine that that line of talking works with his base, right? And it doesn't work with anybody else. But it, I don't. I don't know. It, it's it's a weird place, and it feels like there are incredible events happening, and it. I don't. I, I don't necessarily feel like there's a whole lot of minds that are being changed about Trump, despite all of the insanity. Do you think he? thinks anybody is going to believe him when he says the Russians definitely don't want Trump. I mean, Trump. I mean, Putin himself at the Helsinki conference said, oh, I definitely wanted Trump to win. I want I wanted Trump. <laughs> and that does he in his mind, does he say, if I say the Russians don't want Trump, people will believe me? I mean, what do you think, Nick? I mean, in this, his mind? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Did we, we talked about this. He yeah. creates his own reality. It, like, it's not it's not what's actually happening. Yeah. It's what he perceives to be happening. Well, that's really terrifying. But the sad part is he can manifest a lot of that to be true because there is a fervent part of the Republican base that will agree with that. Sure. I, so, I, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I we've talked about this in terms of foreign policy, about how Trump, you know, snuggles up with people who like him, even right. if they're terrible people. And if someone opposes him, then they're an enemy, right? Yeah. He And, and he sort of caters his foreign policy that way. He's a president that, I don't know if he ever really was a president. You feel like previous presidents, like Barack Obama, some of his policies he knew were going to piss off conservatives, but he still tried to like frame it in a way that might be more tolerable to them. George W. Bush, same thing, right? He was going to piss off Demo uh, Democrats, but when he talked about you know war in Iraq or tax cuts, he tried to present it in a way in which he realizes that in order to win, you need your base, but you also have to reach out to some other people. It feels like if Donald Trump was ever a president for everyone, he has given up on that yeah, idea, yeah. right? So when he's talking, the only people he's thinking of listening are his supporters, right? They're the only ones that matter because they like him. And the people who don't like him are, you know, pointless. Like, sure. he doesn't give a shit about them. And that that is, in my mind, that's his persona, right? And that carries across to... And, and so he's, you know, he's tweeted... This week he tweeted about a, a new poll that came out that had 88% of Republicans approve of him, um, which is a 
fact, right, in this one poll. But it, it, it totally, it, I mean, in some ways, what he's saying is, again, these are the people who matter, right? He, that's who he's governing for. It's, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I mean, to play devil's advocate, he's not necessarily wrong. If you look at it from a purely pragmatic, realistic perspective, he really only needs those people to win. The Republicans control Congress. Um, his base is pretty strong at this point. And it seems as if as much of a uh, lunatic as he presents himself to, to be a lot of the time, the people on the left are still more distasteful than he is to most Republicans, I would say, at, the, at this point. So if they can maintain the numbers that they have, which in the current situation I think is fairly likely, um, unless there's a huge cla- uh, cataclysm in the next few months prior to the uh, the midterms, I, I I don't know. I think he he might be right. It's not it's not right in the grand scheme of things, but he is right from a pra- pragmatic perspective. The idea I, that the Democrats are still angering people more than Trump is matters, right? I mean, especially on mm-hmm. the right, right? This still pointing to Hillary as as the evil other it goes a long long ways, and that that speaks to the partisan dynamic. But it is so brazen that in this tweet he would say, you know, they definitely Russia definitely doesn't want Trump. I mean, I just. It's as if you're looking at something that's white and he's saying it's black and he's like, no, no, it's black. Right. And he, it's, it's <laughs> and 80, so 88% of Republicans are saying, yep, it's black. Yep. Right. <laughs> you know, I just it's hard for me because I think you're right, Phil, that presidents always spin. There's always the attempt to make whatever they're doing appealing and justify it. But Trump doesn't even try to do that. He can just jump back and forth. And what, you know, we're talking about Russia. He's been back and forth on on Russia multiple times, whether, you know, they intervene, they didn't intervene, they want me, they don't want me. Uh, It's a big hoax. It's not a hoax. All of that. And then just to say, nope, they don't, I, I, I can't understand. And it terrifies me in terms of foreign policy, because the one thing the world craves in terms of geostrategic interactions is stability. And this president is, yeah, well, yeah, I think so. I think so. Especially so from the United States. fucking it up, though. Well, that may be, <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> but you look to the United States to be that rock. And Trump is so inconsistent and so often far removed from where the rest of his administration is. It is stunning. Uh, I, I don't know. that. I, I just don't know what to say about that other than it's I, deeply well, troubling. So I wonder, I, I said a minute ago, when we started off, I said that I don't know that it matters, but I, I, I want to go back a little bit on that because it, it does, with the Putin stuff, I saw some of it. It did seem to matter a little bit at the edges, right? There were Republicans who reacted with a, oh shit, kind of reaction. And mm. I've seen Republicans on Twitter who have basically, there were people who were, you know, getting retweeted who, had, who were leaving the Republican Party based on that interaction. It's not a ton. Right. But it's some. Right. And now we're going to talk about tariffs later. Right. And there are people who are getting hit by these tariffs that people who were solid Trump supporters. And so I think there's a lot of at the edges, people who are going to get hit or pissed on a single issue. Right. So if, if you're voting single issue, if, if the thing that, you know, if you lose your job because of tariffs and the next election comes around, that might swing you. And so it doesn't take that. I mean, Trump didn't win by that much. There was a poll this week that showed that amongst independents, Democrats in a generic poll, right? So you have to take that into uh, into account. But Democrats were up like 20 points over Republicans amongst independents. So that doesn't take into account the individual candidates or any of that stuff. But that's a pretty big swing. And so I, I want to put a little I want to put my professor hat on for a second, because <laughs> what you were saying, Nick, a minute ago about how it doesn't matter because the Republicans 
hold the Senate and the House and all of that stuff, mm-hmm. I think is absolutely true for now. But right. I think the part where Trump is going to screw himself over is that that's, you know, if he keeps up doing this into policies that chip away a few supporters here and there, he's going to end up without control of the House and the Senate. I think about uh, I think about in, you know, in IR terms, we talk about like the shadow of the future, right? You can be rational in the right here and now. The smart thing to do is to go against Putin and, and launch tariffs and all of this stuff. And people eat that up. But it doesn't take into account the long term consequences of that. What happens when you go and make appeals to these people and and you've burned these bridges or, or whatever? So I, I wonder if this hurts in the long run in a way that, you know, it makes sense for Trump to be a, this insane person right now. But um, I don't know. Do you th- I, 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 I'm less skeptical about the cost long term. I think there might there really will be a cost long term, not just for Trump, but for Republicans. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the trend that just the counterpoint a little bit, the trend that we've seen, at least among Republicans, is that his approval ratings continue to go in a positive direction. So I, I you're absolutely right. It, it could definitely shift. And, you know, that blue wave that's supposed to be coming in the near future may actually happen. I, I don't know, you guys. I'm, I'm, I think it'll be, if it does flip more towards Democrats, it'll be much a, a much smaller swing than people are saying right now. Honestly, I, I'm not sure there's going to be a swing at all at this point. There's enough solidification sure. among Republicans. I, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I would not count those chickens before they hatch. What we don't know is how many people are continuing to identify as Republicans. That's what I'm curious about. Right. So, you know, when you look at these polls, he, he does fantastically well. What did you say? 92 percent? Uh, like 88%. Okay, like yeah. Among Republicans of approval mm-hmm. rating, that's... Stop. So you think the normal ones are leaving and the well, ones that are left are... Well, we, no, no, no. We don't know, right? We don't know have people... are So those are always self-identifying. Are you still sure. a Republican? So are those... Are, has the Republican Party shrunk? Or are those who identify? And again, these are all things we don't know. It mm-hmm. may be, I, as, you, as you said, Nick, that... The fear of Democrats is still greater than the the threat they perceive Trump to be. They are terrible. So, right? so, <laughs> so these are things we won't really know until the midterms. Now, it may be that that independent group that uh, may have leaned Republican before has moved independent and sure. is going to vote against Republicans for some you know balance. Uh, and we won't know that until midterms. So that's why I'm skeptical. I, I don't want to make predictions until we sort of see that data. Mm-hmm. I- that's the key. I, yeah. If people were, if people voted for Trump and a year and a half into it, they still support Trump, they're gonna stick with Trump, right? Yeah. Those people are not going to be converted to, uh, you know, whoever the Democratic candidate or you know Democratic Congress is. But I, you were talking about. I saw one study. I think it was Dan Dresner who was tweet. Maybe I was wrong. I think he was the one who was tweeting this out. That looked at that. At what you were talking about, whether people are leaving the Republican Party, and they found that they're they're not. Not in large numbers, yeah. but what is happening is those independents, people who describe themselves as independents, most of the time act like Republicans or Democrats. They lean Republican uh, or they lean Democrat. So they mm. say they're independent, but they vote Republican consistently. Right. Or they say they're independent, but they vote Democrat consistently. Amongst those independent Republican leaning candidates, the percentage who disapprove of Trump is remarkably high. It's like 50% or something like that. I have to look at the numbers sure. here. And a lot of it, like 30%, strongly disapprove. So Again, the question is, is that disapproval of Trump enough to push somebody towards the Democrats? Or is it that I don't like Trump, but I'm still going to vote for a Republican member of Congress? Right. And that mm-hmm. that's we don't we don't know. No, we don't. Uh, and, and it's harder to identify who the Democrats are now 
because Hillary's kind of gone away. And of course, during the midterms, there will be there will be Democratic candidates, but they're not the same as having Barack Obama up there, where you can point to and say that's the Democratic Party, right? Or Hillary Clinton. Uh, they make easy villains. It's going to be harder for Republicans to do that because they can go after Nancy Pelosi. Uh, they can go after Bernie Sanders, but that that feels a little more tired. So I guess that's the question I keep wondering about: is uh, is the attack on Democrats going to stick? And again, don't know. Uh, but if I were a Republican, if I were Paul Ryan, well, I guess he doesn't have to worry. But if I were a more mainstream Republican, I would be concerned about what could happen at the midterms because of Trump's I, antics and all of this. Mm-hmm. I think Republicans are going to take a hit. I mean, that, that's that beyond. I mean, this is where we have to ask about how much Trump disproves conventional wisdom, but conventional wisdom and all the data historically is that midterm elections go against the, the presidential party pretty consistently. So even, even if it weren't Donald Trump, I think the Republicans would take a hit in the midterms. I think that Trump is going to amplify that hit because of his kind of extreme behaviors. Um, I, so I, you know, I, I think there will be a swing. I don't know that it will be. The question is, is it a big enough swing to make a difference in terms of who controls the House and Senate? And that is, I, you know, that's we're, tough. that's, yeah. It, 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 I think to Nick's earlier point, Republicans, Trump support, Trump Republicans are about as loyal as you can get. I mean, those, what that number is, is hard to know, but they are out there. They're forceful. They're, uh, they're mobilizing. So that is, it's not as if it is. A, it's going to be a quiet election. There's going to be a lot of activity. So mm. uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Should we talk about the Iran tweet? Yes, please. <laughs> whether, we're, <laughs> whether we're drifting towards a war with Iran. So a couple things struck me about this. One was that it felt to me as if after Helsinki, Trump was trying to raise any issue that would shift the conversation away Mm -hmm. from russia and trump and he tried he you know he teased the nfl again he tried to bring that issue again up and say you know these players should be standing that didn't have traction there were there was some rage tweeting over the weekend trying to get something Mm -hmm. and then he hit on iran and that seemed to work because uh, everybody paid attention to that Is, is this just rhetoric i mean what should we make of all of this nick you're you're nodding your head yeah Yeah. i I mean i've seen a a number of stories over the past week that um people who interviewed um members of the white house staff anonymously said yeah Yeah. this is the tactic he's trying to divert attention to what happened and put it onto something else this is nothing new so I, i i didn't really think it was anything more than that the fact that it was so all caps uh, all, all caps so all caps um was a little disconcerting um and that it was said at like 11 o'clock at night yes you know well what's the time change in iran so it might it probably was in the middle of the day it's you, fine trump was probably thinking about this right what, what time is it in, <laughs> in iran iran isn't twitter's banned in iran too, that's so. true <laughs> um uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't see this as anything but bluster and yeah. trying to divert attention at this point. Phil, so, are you more no. worried? Um, I, I'm, I'm slightly more worried just for this reason. I, if it were any other president, I would take it as, a, a, you know, a distraction. Um, and I, I do think that's what it was. And I think in some ways this was a tweet not to the American people, but to his base. Right. This is a sort of mm-hmm. look, I'm still strong. Yeah. You know, this didn't go over well, even with my base. And I'm going to show that I'm a strong foreign policy um, tough guy. The reason why it worries me a little bit more is that I think very little thought went into it from Trump's standpoint. Right. I tweeted this out. Um, but 
I think he's a president or a person who responds to uh, positive enforcement, right? So if it goes over well and people like it and it takes the attention away from other stuff, it's a well he'll go back to. Mm-hmm. And so that's the only reason that I'm at all concerned. Um, I also tend to think that Iran, I'm, not that they're good people or anything, but I, I do tend to think that Iran, the Iranian leadership, as much as as problematic as they are, I, I have the impression that they're a little more level-headed and less reactionary. I see you waiting here. Let me finish the sentence. <laughs> then, then Kim Jong Un is right. They're not likely to like launch back immediately with a "we will kill you" sort of sort of response. Um, I, that doesn't mean they won't do that, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I they seem maybe less likely to take the bait. Um, I mean, They've got stuff at home to worry about as well. They're yeah. not a particularly popular regime. And anyway, I, this didn't come out of left field though. Like the Iranians said something yes. specifically that set him off, yeah, and then they responded yeah. after yes. this. Um, yeah, I, I um, as much as I would like to think that they are rational players who, you know, this kind of rhetoric should not necessarily need to be used. They're really good at putting this rhetoric out themselves. And, you know, the Republicans and Trump is not or they're not wrong in in that sentiment. On top of the fact that Iran has wreaked havoc across that region for, for sure. decades mm-hmm. at this point. So, I, I mean, I, I personally think it, it it's worse if they're rational actors and they're still, you know, undertaking these these types of um, actions as a as a sovereign country. Um, I. I don't know. I hate Iran. I just hate him. So, I just hate him. So, and not and not even the, the Iranian people. Just the this government. regime that just will yeah. not go away. It's it's just I just hate it. It well, just needs to go away. Iran does this all the the government does this all the time. Right. Where there it's death to America, and usually it's from the supreme leader. This came from Rouhani, who is the president, who I would say is a much more moderate, much more yeah, centrist sure. president. Um, and it, it wasn't it wasn't Kim Jong Un kind of statement, but it was critical of the United States, and Trump took the bait. Uh, and Iran has responded, but yes, I, I think for them it's more of a a verbal sparring for domestic purposes sure. in, in terms of Iran, right? It's the you have to oh, keep the evil send empire. the death to America tweet again, right? Um, now, usually American presidents, both Democratic and Re- Republican, do not take the bait on this because it's not useful. My fear, to echo a little bit of what Phil said, is that Trump may see this as useful because he needs something new. North Korea has moved in a less productive direction. Uh, Russia is not something that he's going to hit on. You know, NATO gets tired. So who's the next it, right? And it could be Iran. I'm going to continue to escalate. And we've seen a pattern where Trump does this. He creates a crisis. Uh, he then, uh, you know, scares everybody. There's an interaction. He comes out and says he solved the crisis. So right. is Iran the next crisis to create and solve? And my fear is that he may see this yeah. as as useful. And I don't know how many times you can do that without something negative happening. And, you know, North Korea could turn out well, could, could collapse. We don't know. Uh, but we can't continue to provoke in this way without expecting at some point some kind of reaction if you're an international player if you're iran there, there's kind of a couple of different ways you could see this looking at what's happened with russia what's happened with north korea and all these other things you could see trump's tweet attack um and and just dismiss it right because the lesson yes. learned from north korea is that he doesn't mean any of it right it's just this empty rhetoric 
and you know we can engage in the rhetoric but that's you know it, it's I, I feel like much of the international community just doesn't really pay attention the fact that he tweeted out an all caps threat of war essentially and the world kind of laughed it off is telling of that the other way to take it is if you're iran and you look at north korea is to say hey we we respond with some rhetoric of our own and we can get a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the president in which we don't really have to give up anything, but we right. can get something out of it, and everyone claims that they win, right? Mm, right. So I know which, if you're an international player, if you're like Iran, which, which lesson from North Korea do you take? Do you dismiss him, or do you say, hey, this is our opportunity? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. If I'm Iran, I have a different incentive structure than North Korea. North, I mean, both of them want sanction relief, but North Korea is much more desperate both for sanction relief and international recognition. Uh, recognition. Iran doesn't need international recognition, but they do ultimately want to undermine the sanctioned regime. Um, oh God, if I'm Iran, I don't take the bait. I don't go the Kim Jong Un I, because I don't think I think it's better to embarrass the American president mm -hmm. than to engage. Uh, North Korea. North Korea wants to be a regional player, right? right? And so they they have stuff to gain. Iran already is a regional player, so they don't. They, I mean, they are a power yeah. player in the Middle East, and so, yeah, I think in that sense, there's less to be gained for right. Iran. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So something struck me as you were talking, Phil, and it made me think of the language that Trump used in this tweet. And so he talked about at the end of the tweet, he says, "We are no longer a country that will stand for your demented words of violence and death. Be cautious." <laughs> Now, it caused me to think back to George W. Bush when he gave this famous speech where he called out the axis of evil. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, let's see, it was uh, Iran, Iraq, and North, Korea, North that were, Korea yeah, that were on the axis of evil. Do you remember how people lost their mind because he said there was an axis of evil? Like those three yeah. little words. If George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, or Barack Obama had said, you know, uh, we are we will no longer stand for your demented words of violence and death be cautious. I mean, we, we have, to Nick's analogy, we go back to time and time again. We, we are in prison now, <laughs> and we are, we are laughing off things that other presidents would have been two months worth of conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. That, that's it's not, where nobody takes them seriously, no, right? And that, that's that, problematic. It is highly problematic. Okay, good. <laughs> it's, it's really problematic. So from a straightforward standpoint, it's problematic if you're doing U.S. foreign policy, if you are the president, because when you issue a threat, you want it to be taken as credible. Right. right? Yes. If, if we say to a country, stop, or we're going to go to war with you, you want them to sit back and think, wow, um, is this actually something we want to do? But no, if nobody takes you seriously, if you're the, the boy who cried wolf, yes, then that's highly problematic. Yeah. From a whole nother perspective, from just a governing perspective, it's problematic that we as Americans have started just dismissing or ignoring what he says because there's a lot of stuff that he says that's just bullshit, right? That doesn't go anywhere. But there's a lot of stuff that he says or that is actually happening, right? And so there's policies that are being implemented and carried out by the Trump administration. And I think because we are, you know, so numb to this kind of crazy rhetoric, we are, I don't know, maybe dismissing more than we should. This was a point of conversation yesterday. Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, was testifying in front of the Senate, I believe, and they were pushing him on whether the president's words are policy. And he didn't really want to come down and ultimately said, of course, yes, if the president says something, it's policy. But if he, I mean, then that's the question. Are all of these tweets the official position of the U.S. government, given that they're so inconsistent with what the rest of the administration is saying? It's, uh, yeah. Nick, you look confused. No, I'm not. Con no, that just sounds idiotic. That the, it, what the president said is not policy? Well, no. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it. 
regardless of what position that he holds currently, it's still a representative government. Like, I, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't, one man does not dictate policy for an entire nation of 350 million people. I don't agree with that is, he may be but, the chief diplomat, yeah. but that does not represent the sentiment of the majority of the population, I believe. But In as any of the things that he said, yeah. what? Because we are a representative government, though, as president, he can launch a war over, like instantaneously if he wants. Uh, yeah. So in that sense, his word is policy. Right. But it, it's also going to depend on the institutions following suit and the population following suit to bring that war to the forefront. Like I, I, He said some really dumb shit that in, you know, if this was a different, different form of government or a different country, that could mean something. It could really cause a huge problem. But it seems like... As he said more of this stuff, we've gotten really good at pointing out what is really, really bullshit. Mm-hmm. Whether it's immigration or you know foreign policy, um, I can't think of any other things right now. Um, we've gotten we've gotten good at calling him out on his bullshit and ignoring and what ignoring, we, like, yeah. yeah. But to Phil's I, point, you are which you we are still have right. to. But yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. And don't say things like that anymore, Phil, because it's, <laughs> I, I can't won't sleep all at night. <laughs> well, I mean, I think about I, I, maybe it's not Trump that's been particularly effective at reshaping government, but his administration has been right. Mm-hmm. So while we're all paying attention to Trump's crazy tweets, Jeff Sessions is totally reworking the legal, you know, the justice system in terms of how we deal with you know recreational marijuana use, use and immigration and all these other issues. Right, the EPA has dramatic been dramatically altered. We've we took care um, of that. He's gone. <laughs> the Republicans have passed a pretty significant tax reform uh, policy. So, or a tax cut. It's not really talk tax reform, but all of this, like, I feel like we're so focused on the crazy tweets of Donald Trump that we're missing the people who he has empowered and the stuff that they are carrying out. Mm. And we're not necessarily missing it. It's like any one of these little things, you know, the 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 immigration stuff, the you know, separating children, EPA regulations, tax, any of all, all of this stuff in a regular presidency would have been the big issue, right? But oh, yeah. there's so much of it going on, and even beyond that, there is a constant barrage of insanity from the president. That means that you know, I, I we get so worked up about whether we're going to a war with Iran that we quit paying attention to what else is happening. So you think he's just a puppet of the uh, Republican establishment to keep us off balance? so they can do whatever they want deep state no no (laughs) no deep state i don't think he's a puppet of the republican establishment but i think the republican establishment is smart enough to take advantage of a good situation when it happens absolutely well and i think he's appointed people the first wave of the trump appointees weren't particularly effective but this second wave some of the people that are in office now really know what they're doing or and some of the other fools have been removed where you're absolutely right they are getting things done i still refuse to believe this is part of a broader strategy but it is ultimately effective when he goes out and does all of these bizarre things and nobody talks about what's going on with the epa or going on at justice no that's a that's a a really important point and i think that's the dilemma for a lot of these you know republicans or an independence leaning republican that we've talked about is that you have a crazy person and i think many of them not obviously a lot of the diehard trump supporters don't but a lot of i think a lot of the independents who lean republican recognize that trump is is he's he's crazy right like he's this is not necessarily a good thing but 
you've got Supreme Court justice nominations, you've got, you know, environmental regulations, you have tax reform, you've got, you know, I, I, I had a conversation with my brother a few weeks ago in which he talked about how he, you know, he doesn't particularly like Trump, but he's very grateful for the tax reform, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that that is the, the, the sort of dilemma of, you know, a Paul Ryan yeah. or somebody like that who's uh, unwilling to, you know, get in the way of the Trump machine because it is creating opportunities. That's where I, though, come back to this idea of shadow of the future. Are they, are they making a mistake by sort of grabbing what they can now? I think there's going to be a big cost, a big price to pay for that at some point for the Republicans. But maybe that's me being naive. That's that's a great preview for a speed round tariff <laughs> talk, is. Phil. Excellent. That's good. that's well done. <laughs> let's, let's talk about beers first. Let's talk we? beers. All right, Phil. <laughs> Phil. Uh, yeah. So we should note that Phil is in his office with no air conditioning. The guy is dripping wet. <laughs> I've been <laughs> wiping sweat off my face. You're whole still time. chipper. You're going and you're. What is what beer are you stay, drinking to stay cool? <laughs> so I had a beer from Mast Landing Brewing Company, which is out of Westbrook, Maine, um, and it is their Telltale Pale Ale double dry hopped um and yep it was i feel like i say very similar things every week it was good i like this one actually it was um i i like a i've said before i like a pale ale that's got it's got good flavor but it's not like you know beat you over the head with the hoppiness and this was this was one of those i i enjoyed it a lot that's good so uh nick and i are drinking so i have uh, a good friend of mine uh, who used to live in Naperville and has now moved to Kentucky, was up this last weekend, and he brought up a Kentucky bourbon barrel ale. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, a little description here. It describes itself as a unique sipping beer. Uh, it is aged in uh, bourbon barrels. Uh, and it's it's not something that you would see, you know we oftentimes talk about a a back porch beer where you're mowing the lawn. This isn't that kind of beer. This is a a slow kind of enjoy like you're enjoying a bourbon. Yeah, uh, it's an yeah. after dinner drink. Yes, I yeah. believe it's, yeah you said that at one point. And it's uh it's you know it's kind of sweet. Mm -hmm. Um, it definitely grows on you the more you drink it. Like it, it really kind of grows on you. It's yeah. a full. They describe it as an ale, but it really feels more hearty than your traditional ale. Yeah, the the sweetness is it's pretty pronounced, but it's good. Like if yeah. you were having this after a meal, it would be fantastic. Yes. It was it's it's a good middle ground between having some, you know, standard shitty beer and having an actual yeah. bourbon. So it's something yeah, you yeah. could yeah. I, I don't know. I, I liked it personally. It's it's amazing what they're doing with beers and, and good on Kentucky and uh, thank you, Todd, for bringing us up some beers. Yes, and, we always enjoy free beer. Yes, and if listeners wanna should we have listeners send us beer or is that dangerous, I Nick? Really I don't know. know. I really want to yeah. put an address out there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. No, Just uh, you talk <laughs> about politics and, and <laughs> that's, that's true. Probably not good. Um, oh. Yeah, but if you want to um, Find out the beers that we try on the podcast. Um, uh, look at reviews, things like that. Find us on the Untapped app uh, on iOS and Android. We're just Barstool Politics on there. So anything that we try will be on there. All right, speed round time. Yeah. Nick, I knew there were tapes. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Topic number one. Should have put money on it. <laughs> <laughs> President Trump's former personal attorney, Michael Cohen, stirred things up this week by releasing a secret recording of a conversation where Trump and Cohen can be heard discussing how they would buy the rights to former Playboy model Karen McDougal's story about an alleged affair she had with Trump years earlier, which Trump denies. On Tuesday night, Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani disputed the idea that the recording showing Trump knew anything about the deal. It doesn't, he said in an interview. That's open to interpretation, and we can have a fight about that. So, Julie, I will fight you. I will fight you. <laughs> so, um, like a spider monkey. Isn't that great. 
So uh, Trump went on Twitter to attack Cohen, asking, quote, what kind of lawyer would tape a client? So sad. It's very sad. Now, it should be noted that Trump apparently taped everybody, but that's, that's a whole other <laughs> thing. Can you guys believe these two lovebirds, Trump and Cohen, are now such bitter enemies? You know, if you remember, at one point, Cohen offered to take a bullet for Trump. So what should we make of this? Uh, is this bad news for Trump? Uh, Phil, what uh, initial reactions? Um, initial reaction is that, yes, this is bad news for Trump. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't know the ins and outs of campaign finance law, but it seems like at, at the heart of a lot of this issue was a question about campaign finance. It was the same thing with Stormy Daniels about whether if, if a payment is made to silence someone with the intention of benefiting the campaign, then that has to be treated as campaign a campaign donation. It yeah. has to be declared and and um, the the all the arguing uh, or the claiming up to this point about how Trump didn't know about that, both with the Stormy Daniels, which later he said they you know Rudy said he did know, but it was paid back. And anyway, um, this is a taped, and I mean it, it seems pretty obvious they're talking about this before it happened, right? This has to be done. And and Trump, I have have you listened to the tape? I've just yes. seen some of the transcripts. It, 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 the the audio is not good. He right? wanted a coke. I know that. <laughs> right. Yeah. The audio is not good, but they certainly are talking about it. So there is room yeah. for interpretation of what they're saying, but they are conversing about it, which he denied knowing anything about it at this right. point. Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like there are there are other tapes here. The part that I find also interesting is that apparently this was part we talked, you know, a couple of months ago when they first hit um, Cohen's office and they had we had the dirty team, right, that went in yes. and decided what was covered by attorney client privilege. And they passed on the stuff that wasn't covered to the Mueller team. But the, the dirty stuff obviously didn't. So apparently this was covered by attorney client privilege. Um, but the reason it's out there is because the Trump team waived privilege do you have you read anything about that it, i haven't seen any explanation of how that was done i saw one people one person who argued that it was giuliani essentially going on the air and talking about this was a way of essentially that waves privilege if you're going to talk about it publicly sure then you don't have a right to claim privilege anymore and the um, sequence... but it sounds like it was a massive fuck up by the trump <laughs> that's what that was gonna be my thought because cohen or his new uh, lawyer lanny davis who was a, a longtime clinton guy right so it's a poke in the eye when Cohen goes to some big Clinton uh, supporter to do this. They release the tape, but then Trump releases the transcripts. So it is a very bizarre thing. Now, you're right. They release the transcripts, and then Giuliani comes on and says, hey, this is exculpatory, right? This this makes this shows him as innocent, which I don't think it does, but maybe the just saying that helps. It's up to you, <laughs> yes. the listener, whether it's true or not. At a deeper point, this has to freak Trump out because there are apparently hundreds of these tapes that Cohen apparently taped everything. Yeah. And unless you think Trump is squeaky clean in everything he does, there's got to be some something in there that he does not want released. And if I mean, if we go all the way back to the Clinton investigation I and mean, when they ultimately got him on the affair with or the incident or affair, whatever, with Monica Lewinsky, which is not what started that investigation. So if I'm Trump, I'm really worried. Is everything I've done legal and clean? And mm -hmm. if not, Cohen is the one guy who's going to have that information and apparently now is pissed off at Trump and feels like he's been betrayed. And that's the last thing you want is a 
taping lawyer who's mad at you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So Trump and Cohen, or, I mean, Trump at least, Cohen hasn't said that much, but, you know, big on loyalty, but really they are they are absolutely self-interested. So the, you were talking <laughs> yes, about, yes. Our, you know, it's, they, they seem so in love. This seems inevitable, right? And this right. is where, this is where, you know, I, maybe this was inevitable regardless, but certainly with Mueller putting the pressure on, right, you've got people who are highly self-interested. This This division, this turning on each other seems like of course, this is gonna this is gonna happen, and Trump wants loyalty, but is not willing to give that loyalty. And apparently, right. there was an article in the Washington Post today where apparently Cohen was sending signals to Trump over the last couple of months, like protect me, you know, right. do something to to save me. I right. want to be there for you. And and all we saw was that <laughs> Trump removed himself. Uh, and again, maybe legally that was the right strategy, but it depends on what Cohen knows. Mm, and right. now you've got Cohen angry at him. Uh, wa- apparently wanting to flip on him. This is this I think is terrible news, and it maybe explains some of the more erratic behavior out of Trump lately. Well, you ahead. combine that with the Manafort trial moving forward, yeah. um, and you know the the pressure from the Putin stuff. Mueller, it, there was a report this week that Mueller is starting to look into uh, Trump financials more, and like looking to interview uh, accountants and stuff like that. If you're Trump, you've got to be. I mean, it's I I think the crazy is going to only go up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, regardless of how loyal a person was at one point, when you're facing the types of charges that these people are facing, yeah. n- no amount of loyal. You're not going to be loyal at that point. When the rest of your life is on the line, it's not going to happen. We're going to see more tapes in the next few weeks, oh, I would yeah. say, which will be hilarious. I can't wait for so, all of them. <laughs> before we before we move on, I, I, can we also talk about how on the tape they talk about several um, evangelical leaders who are yes. they're going to use so the, the 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 contrast of talking about how they're going to pay off a Playboy model who the the guy running for president has had an affair with, and how they can get cover from these evangelical leaders is so. I, I mean, it, it 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 like we talked about earlier. It's both shocking and it seems like the norm in this day and age. <laughs> the, the fact that there is so much evangelical support for Donald Trump is mind-boggling yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. It, it, to me, and I've had conversations with friends about this, where the evangelical position now seems more political than religious, especially given I mean, Trump has forced their hand on that, where if you either have to pick your faith or Trump, they're they're shifting towards coverage of Trump in ways that are not always comfortable. Yeah, and it was exposed. It should have been embarrassing for these religious leaders that behind the scenes Trump is talking about this, that, yeah, we've got this ugliness, but we can go have somebody who's reputable cover us. Uh, it's, it's it's awful. The fact that it, it came down to a, a division, this sort of your faith or Trump, is a result of the last 30 years of American politics, right, in which evangelicals have tied themselves to the Republican Party to the extent that being a conservative Christian means that you are a Republican. Right. And when you do that, then yes, Donald Trump or your faith is the division, but that that's a false dichotomy, yes. right? Like that's this, this whole, anyway, that, that's a, that's a relatively new thing in American politics, right? A, a religion as like the driving factor in how people voted is really something that has only emerged since the 1980s. 
is especially with a character like Donald Trump. It's it's different when you're talking about George W. Bush, who is an authentic evangelical right. and believed right. it. But but you get the sense that's not the case with Trump. And if there you they're, get the no. sense. Well, <laughs> what are you talking about? People are talking. <laughs> no, but it's believe, fascinating. I mean, but if you talk to people. You sent me that article from the Washington Post. Yes. But in talking to people, you know, I have lots of family members who are Southern Baptist, and I they they 100% believe that he has you know. He's a changed man, right? That he recognized that he is a Christian, and that that part is that is a little bit mind-boggling to me. Mm-hmm. That 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 you can convince yourself that despite his bad past, he's changed. He's different now. Well, and there's there's a lot of evangel- evangelicals who believe that God put Trump in office. Yes, which again is is an interesting contrast with his his actual behavior, and hard for me it, to reconcile. It's also- it's also a contrast with how those evangelicals felt when Barack Obama was in office. Right, right, right. So, right. All right, there's some logical to... inconsistencies. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. All right, let's go to topic number two. No security clearance for you. So President Trump is threatening to strip half a dozen former national security officials of their security clearances. On Monday, Sarah, Sarah Sanders called their public commentary about the ongoing Russia probe inappropriate and deserving of losing their security clearance. Such a move would amount to an unprecedented use of presidential authority to punish political rivals. Critics quick, quickly seized on the announcement, and even those under consideration downplayed the actual effect of losing their clearances might have. The list of for, uh, former officials under consideration includes uh, John Brennan, uh, James Clapper, former FBI director, James Comey, who already has his security clearance removed, former National Security Advisor Susan Rice, uh, Andrew McCabe, uh, Michael Hayden, a bunch of those that you see on the cable news networks criticizing Trump. Uh, according to Sanders, they've, quote, politicized and in some cases monetized their public surface, uh, making baseless accusations of an improper relationship with Russia. And it's that's inappropriate. Phil, you had your security clearance yanked years ago. It was crazy that they gave it to me in the first place. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> so big picture. Is this a big deal, little deal? Uh, what, what do we think? Um. I mean, this is, again, where in a different administration, this would be a big deal. It seems fairly small when the president's tweeting out an all-caps threat of war to Iran. But, um, yeah, I mean, this fits into, you know, again, this theme that we've talked about over and over again, that the erosion of democracy doesn't happen in big chunks. It happens in little ways, right? And so, um, first of all, I, I want to say that the whole idea that the, that anyone in the Trump administration is accusing people of monetizing their public service <laughs> is like is rich with irony. Like that, <laughs> yeah, that is that no is enough to make about. my blood pressure go up. <laughs> there was a picture. He tweeted out a picture this week of him and Judge what's her name uh, and her new book. Uh, you know, Judge per, it starts with a P. Hero? Was, yes. Hero? Yes. She's yeah, got a Jeanine new book Hero out. Or yes, or yeah, whatever. and it was the two of them in the Oval Office. He's holding up her book. Yeah. Hey, God <laughs> bless. Is, yeah. That's right. Yeah, he's a man who's gone to his own, used his own, you know, every time, like every third day, he's at one of his own, uh, you know, private golf clubs or hotels or anyway. The the question of 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 taking away clearance. Um, I mean, I saw a few national security people talking about how this is not all countries do it this way. That in the U.S., once you've had the clearance and you've served, you maintain that that clearance. And I've seen a number of people who say that they think that's a little strange, right? Why, if you're not longer in that office, why do you have have that clearance? There's a debate that could be had there, right? The argument is that um, the people who are in office now, the ability to call and talk to people who had been in the office previously, you know, it allows for transparency and. Um, it allows you know people to to keep 
keep the government accountable. There's lots of arguments for it. There's arguments against it. The issue is that the people, the five people named, are people who have actively criticized the president. So what's happening is the president is going out and punishing people who are critical of him by taking away their security clearance. That's the part that is deeply troubling. And, mm -hmm. and that's the part where, again, these little maybe small red flags about the erosion of democracy, that if a president can target people who don't like him, who can take away access to people who don't like him, that's the part that makes me a, a little on edge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nick? I, I mean, the the distinction right now, especially with these people and people who have either you know left positions in the government or who have retired, is that those clearances become inactive once they leave. So it's not that they can continue to just use their security clearance right, right. once they leave. It makes it easier for them to reactivate it if they go into consultancy or, you know, get a new position right, or something right. like that. So the fact that he's trying to strip people that have inactive clearances, if they do have inactive clearances, is ridiculous. Having said that, if they are using those clearances that they previously had and went to consultancy groups and are making a lot of money from that. Which happens, right? Which happens yeah. a lot of time. It's the revolving door. Yeah. It's the swamp. It's all that shit. And you know what? There's probably a better way to frame it to mm -hmm. where you could say it's a more institutional thing and we need to reevaluate what we're doing with security clearances after people retire or something like that. When you specifically target people and call them out, that is not a good sign. That is not you draining the swamp or yes. locking the revolving door. You're just being an asshole at that point. You're targeting critics. Right. Yeah. It's yeah, it, it's 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 just ridiculous. For, for me, that that's the big issue is this he's trying to silence critiques. And I think this parallels what happened the last couple of days where there was a CNN reporter, Caitlin Collins, who yep. uh, was in one of these interview, uh, one of these press gaggles or whatever they call. And she was asking questions and they didn't like the questions they asked. And they basically banned her from the next day's event. And I'll fairness, yep. the questions were shitty. Well, well, yes, but that's what press reporters do. And, it, you know, I mean, and she was representing the five TV networks. So so the thing is, like, as a president, you're going to get terrible questions. That's going to mm -hmm. happen. They're going to ask you uncomfortable questions, but you don't ban those who ask those questions Correct. in the same way you don't pull the security clearances of those who are critical of you. Um, oh, the national security advisor, I can't think of the first guy for Trump, uh, who's on, who's pled guilty. I can't think of his name now. Um, Flynn. Flynn. Michael Flynn, right? Michael so Flynn. I know. <laughs> Michael Flynn is at the, at the Republican National Convention chanting, lock her up. And the Obama administration doesn't yank his security clearance because that's not what you do. You can be critical. Well, you don't know who he was talking about. It could have been anybody. <laughs> that's right. He just wanted to lock people up. No. So I, he I was talking about the woman next to him who that's just right. wouldn't stop. She was on her cell phone and it was right. Bad. So, so the idea here, if if the common practice is to allow these to continue, I think you have to do that. And there is some value in in allowing individuals to come back into government without going through that whole process process this is this is political targeting and it just it just is it's bad you know and and the critique well, has come from both sides on mm -hmm. this right and it's contrasted with the fact that like jared kushner for instance still has access to stuff even though right. he can't get security clearance that so. guy's gonna save the middle east yeah <laughs> so any day now yes <laughs> all right next topic tariffs are the greatest they are the Trump administration announced on Tuesday that it would provide up to $12 billion in emergency relief for farmers hurt by the president's trade war. 
Earlier in the week, Trump tweeted, quote, tariffs are the greatest and that all will be great. He loves the word great. <laughs> all will be great. <laughs> Yet this suggests that the administration is concerned about the political fallout for Trump and Republicans as the consequences of the president's protectionist policies play out. All signs appear that Trump is not going to budge on his tariffs. Yet this move to provide emergency aid to farmers suggests that they are aware of the tightrope they're walking. Now, how the question is, how long can the Trump administration withstand this political pressure? I will say yesterday, the Trump, uh, Trump agreed to uh, a very sort of general agreement with the European Union mm-hmm. to not impose any additional tariffs. But it hasn't removed that first wave of tariffs that both the United States and Europe imposed. But they're reevaluating. They are reevaluating, right? Uh, Phil, you were in Europe, so you have to have the pulse of, of tariff. <laughs> I'm sure they were just destitute right. at this point. So all I talked about while I was there was tariffs. <laughs> what were they saying in Paris? <laughs> uh, well, I can't say that I actually got down to the nitty gritty of discussing tariff policy with anyone while I was on vacation in Paris, but. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, this is, again, this is a, a bizarre thing in that you have a conservative president who has widespread conservative support, who is enacting policies that are the opposite of conservative, like traditional conservatism, right? Like in interfering in the free market by imposing tariffs and then dealing with that by doing government bailouts of farmers is like, it's, there's nothing about this that is traditionally sort of small market, you know, small government, free market conservatism. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, he's still talking, he's still talking about doing tariffs on automobiles, right? Isn't yeah. that another part that he's still BMW, talking about? Yeah. He's, he seems to fully believe that, you know, I, I he is, the, the question is how much are his, of his follow, how much are his followers like him? Right. And, and that I see in him, this I, this ability to say tariffs are it's all about winning, and I'm imposing tariffs because there there are unfair practices out there in the world, and I'm going to punish the people who aren't playing fair. And to do that, to see the principle of it, and totally overlook the consequences of it, all of the ways in which this is screwing up the American economy. I've seen stuff about, you know, Maytag is is taking a massive hit because of you know steel tariffs. You've got farmers who are taking hits. You've got people in all sorts of industries who are paying a big price for this. Um, currencies are responding to this in ways that are sort of counterproductive, right? Mm-hmm. That are making it worse for America. He seems like the type of person that, despite all of that evidence, is going to stick to the idea that tariffs are going to are going to solve this problem. And I wonder when you have farmers and workers in, you know, a Maytag factory and things like that who start to pay an economic price, are they willing, you know, is that sort of concrete evidence, does that outweigh the narrative about tariffs are the solution to this? Or the problem isn't the tariff, it's the person, you know, the other people that we're fighting against. And and that I don't I don't know. I in the past it seems like this sort of economic pain has come back to ding a president pretty yeah. hard. And it it seems like right, Trump is ripe for that, but I, I don't I don't know. We we're in a whole new world. It seems like mm-hmm. Nick, what do you think? You're staring at me. No, well, well, I will say you know to, to something you said, Phil. Uh, if the BMW tariffs go into place, or I'm sure it's not the BMW, but if they target automobiles coming from Europe, BMW is one of the big ones that will get hit. I saw something this week where they're talking about hundreds of thousands of U.S. jobs would be lost because of this. <clears throat> and so, I, to to Trump's credit. I do think this is one of the issues where there is a long-standing and genuine 
philosophical or ideological position here. I mean, I think he definitely is much more protectionist. But this is inconsistent with, or it's not, it's against his, oftentimes his voters' interest. And I, I think this could come back to hurt them, where they're, again, put in this awkward position of supporting the president. But if this hits your pocketbook, that can quickly change one's vote. Well, that's the other thing. So the <clears throat> Detroit, uh, the Detroit automator, uh, wow, automakers uh, posted one of their worst quarters, I think, in recent memory this past quarter. The numbers just came out recently. Um, and one of the primary reasons was because of <clears throat> steel and aluminum tariffs. Yeah. And it's it's gonna. They're still. It's nowhere near like it was during the financial crisis. But if it continues, this could be a serious, serious problem going forward. Um, I, I don't think something like this would affect in that particular situation affect the midterms. And if he's going to, you know, subsidize the work of of American farmers, it probably won't have the, that much of an influence either. But again, if we talk about the long term, this could be a huge, huge problem, not only for the administration, but the Republican Party as a whole. Well, that's right. And especially if you start to offer deals to farmers, so you're offering $12 billion to farmers, there are going to be other people in that line who say, hey, what about us? Right. And then, so th I understand why he's doing that for the farmers. Politically, he's in Iowa today. It makes a lot of sense. But long-term politically, this is going to hammer him if he is going to continue to push for this. And he has the executive power to do so. Oh, I, 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 go, go ahead, Phil. No, I was going to say, I don't, I, I'm not sure that he, I, I've argued on, on here before that Trump is a man who, until he became president, has never suffered consequences for his actions, right? right? He's been able to buy off people that he has affairs with. He's gone bankrupt multiple times. He's had a wealthy father. Like he just has been able to avoid consequences. And I see that here and that he, they, the, his administration has imposed these tariffs and then seems shocked and, and furious when there are retaliatory measures that other countries <laughs> would respond to these tariffs by imposing tariffs of their own is just like beyond like that just seems un, unthinkable and that mm -hmm. lines up with this idea of I you know I am right and there should be no consequences for mm -hmm. for those actions and so I that's where I don't know is he able to recognize that oh this is actually bad and I should change and and this is one issue where there are immediate implications for his actions mm -hmm. i mean the, the farmers the steel uh you know anybody connected with steel the nail makers the guy making nails i mean all of this Poor nail yes guy. all of them feel this immediately and that that can have political ramifications that a more sort of philosophical conversations that we have don't um, I, I mean if this was realistically a lot of these conversations and we talked about it do need to be had you know there are trade imbalances and things that need, need to be renegotiated and reevaluated if this was an administration that had that mentality but had the um what's the word um foresight to think about those actions and how to frame it in a way that people could understand and you know, these are not going to be easy things. We think it's the right thing to do. We're going to help you guys in, you know, in the immediate future. And, you know, the results after that will be better and we'll reevaluate as time goes on. But it's not that. It's this yeah. immediate thing where we have an idea. Let's put it into place. And right. this is what we're sticking with. Yeah. yeah. And it's I, I, I there's such an opportunity to make those changes and they're just squandering it. Yeah, and it, yeah. that's what bugs me more than anything. No, I think that's a fair point. Yeah. It, I, I think this, I think it's going to matter. I, I don't, yeah. It, it's what you were saying, Bill, which is that it, it's an immediate consequence. It's easy to draw the line. And I think 
all these other issues that have been controversial for Trump haven't necessarily hit the Trump base, right? Mm. The immigration issue, um, tax cuts, you know, environmental regulation, going for coal. Those are all things that in some way, at least in the short term, benefit Trump's base. And this is one that just, you know, a, a, a lack of sales and people losing their jobs. That's something that happens quick. And it's going to disproportionately affect people who voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. This is a stupid analogy, but Cohen breaks with Trump. Trump supporters can also break with Trump, right? We, this is not a bond that is it will last in perpetuity, right? I mean, so as hard as it is to think about Trump supporters flipping against him, I don't think it takes all that much for them to move away. Mm-hmm. Right. No. All right, next topic. I'm excited about this topic because it's it's one that's not getting a lot of attention in the news, but I think it's it's interesting and important. So, so quietly, the Trump administration has made citizenship a central issue. It has added a citizenship question to the 2020 census, organized a citizenship and immigration service task force uh, that will seek to denaturalize American citizens, the first effort of mass expatriation since the McCarthy era. Era? God, I can't talk. (laughs) And in a recent op-ed for the Washington Post, Michael Anson, a former national security official in the administration, even proposed getting rid of birthright citizenship. Trump himself has questioned the merits of birthright citizenship. In 2015, he said, quote, The 14th Amendment is very questionable as to whether or not somebody can come over and immediately that baby is a citizen, unquote. He also suggested that, quote, you can do something fast to end it. This is not getting a ton of attention, but it would be a stunning development. Uh, do we think this is likely to happen? Um, again, this is something that feels like it's right under the surface, but is a big, big, big issue. Phil, you want to start us off? Um, I mean, this falls into that category of what we were talking about earlier, where there are these big issues, but we're so busy paying attention to the crazy tweets that Trump is doing and to Russia that that we this seems kind of boring in in contrast. I'm. My initial reaction is to be a little skeptical that this goes very far because it seems like changing the interpret the argument is that the 14th amendment uh as it is worded is vague about whether or not you know you solely you sanguini this idea of whether if you are born in the u.s you are automatically a citizen um my understanding is that in the legal community that is not a common interpretation in the the sort of alt-right community it's mm-hmm. a very common interpretation mm-hmm. but i think that in the end judges are the ones who are going to have to interpret the 14th amendment that way um, and as much as the far right or the alt-right might wish for this to be the case, I, it seems like there's a lot. I, I mean, we are, this is part of, I, maybe this is this is part of what's a little bit weird and a little concerning to me about the Trump administration and the shifts that have occurred. Things that, this is uh, something that it seems like has forever been a point of pride for America, right? That anybody can come here, that you're born here and you're an American. And, you know, this idea that, that we are different from places like, you know, Central and Eastern Europe, where it, it depends on your bloodline more than, you know, whether you're born here. This idea of, uh, you know, f- an equal opportunity for everyone who wants to pull themselves up. This is like a point of pride for America. And it's weird to me that this from a conservative side, from people who are like classically sort of, you know, very this pride themselves on patriotism, that they're stepping away from this is a is a weird thing. It's the extent to which I think the far right has shown i think a disproportionate amount of influence over the republican party in the last in the last few years i'm skeptical that it goes very far but it still raises a flag of concern to me about the direction that the republican party 
is going in terms of you know all of these debates about immigration and citizenship and what does it mean to be an American. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which France is is also discussing at this point as well. Nick, I I I, I agree. I, I'm. This seems like an outlier to yeah. me. As much as there's, you know, the administration itself has made some pretty boneheaded mistakes when it's come to immigration and citizenship um, up till this point, and there's there's been a lot of coverage of people like this who have. Who's going to get rid of birthright citizenship? Like, that's just fucking stupid. Donald Trump. Like, no, (laughs) even he's not going to do that. That's just insane. Yeah. But um, I I think there is there's a lot more discussion around it, which I you know, you can take either way as as a positive or negative. While um, I think a lot of Republicans are still fundamentally supportive of, you know, uh, what's the best way to put it? obviously birthright citizenship and then normal legal immigration and what rankles their ass is you know illegal immigrants who come here and get benefits that people who have been here their entire lives or who were born here do not get and that gets blown out of proportion probably more than it should as well um I, i i think there's a disconnect between those two points and saying that this particular viewpoint uh, of of these more extreme viewpoints is that's that does not represent the majority of people who are on who who lean to the right in this country. I would say I, I agree with both of you. I agree with both Phil's legal interpretation that I don't think judges would support this. I think you're right, Phil. I'm sorry, Nick. That conservatives don't would, ever call me that again. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the mass conservative movement wouldn't support this as well. I still think Trump is going to do this. I think this will be <laughs> something that. The next issue he's going to look to push, whatever, when he's out of something, I think this will be it. And I don't think he'll be successful at it, but I think there will be negative consequences because of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, this fits within his wheelhouse of issues that are controversial, that are uncomfortable, that will rally the base. And so I am, I am very, very concerned that he will make this a central issue Maybe if as he's running for re-election, this could be something that he would grasp to or grab onto. Um, I, I don't so, think it'll be successful, but I think politically it might be useful and advantageous, which troubles me. And this is where Trump as party leader matters because, yeah. you know, this is different than, than the Republican Party has been for a long time. Both Bush's Reagan were very outspoken in support of immigration. Jeb Bush has been, you know, the, the, the Republican Party up until, you know, eight years ago, 10 years ago, would have thought this was appalling. Right. And so I don't think that Trump is necessarily representative, but this is why leadership matters, because when you have Trump, there's lots of evidence that the party leaders shape the opinion of their party members more than the other way around. And so when Trump is up there saying these things, he starts to, you know, you people uh, in the Republican Party hear it and they start to get on board with the idea that, yeah, we shouldn't just let anybody come here and become a citizen. And that starts to change sort of national perceptions of immigration and of citizenship and what it means to be an American. And so it's it's why I think people, especially sort of more traditional Republicans, were right to be concerned about Trump as their party leader, because he has the power to reshape the way Americans or Republicans in particular think about an issue as central to the American experiment as citizenship. I, keep in mind, though, the narrative now, realistically, it comes down to legal citizenship, 
or open borders. Mm -hmm. Those are your choices. So, I I mean, there's really, you know, obviously that's not the actual case, but the narrative that is presented to people is one side will let anybody in and do whatever they want without any consequences, or we can follow the law that's in place. And realistically, there should not be any question as to whether or not that's right. Like, that's the thing. And these other people don't want to follow that. That's a powerful political narrative. And Trump would pursue that to to the the end. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that that this is we've talked about before how, again, the 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 healthy policy is somewhere in the middle. Right. (laughs) To get both parties to come to that middle point is the difficult thing. But this is also different than just saying legal like this is this is going beyond that narrative, right? So even if it's not an accurate narrative, the narrative that that Democrats want anyone to come here and Republicans want, you know, these strict limits on immigration, Mm -hmm. this is taking it a step further, which is to say, it's not just strict limits on immigration, it's that only certain people get to even oh, go I through agree. that process. Yeah, right? I, yeah, I'm talking about when you're ta- when we're coming into elections or just, you know, something that's going to galvanize people on either side of the political spectrum, those are the narratives they're being fed. Yeah, the conversation is much more nuanced than that, but that is the thing that's going to get people to the polls. And the reality is that Trump is in a unique position to raise certain conversations. And I think he is going to raise, to Phil's earlier point, I think he's going to raise this conversation even though I don't think it is, is a useful or productive conversation for the country to have. So, all right, we should move on to our final topic, which is much more chipper. So um, we're bringing back an old uh, frame here, which is who had the worst week? So I'm going to present you gentlemen with three different options. Phil's three. having a bad week. It's hot right <laughs> So of these three individuals, who had the worst week? Contender number one, former Trump press secretary Sean Spicer has written a book. It's, you know, and... Uh, at last check, it was ranked as 1,047th on Amazon's sales chart. Didn't even know he wrote a book. Phil, you wrote a book. Is that is that where you want to be in the 1,000th range? You got to be in the top 1,000. Okay. <laughs> All right. Contender number two. It was revealed this week that former Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Scott Pruitt, uh, he had bought a nearly $10,000 office redecoration that included the purchase of a desk that was contaminated by a toxic chemical, formaldehyde. Most fantastically, the fears of the contaminated desk were raised months before the EPA blocked the release of a report highlighting the dangers of formaldehyde exposure in drinking water. That's a bad desk. I didn't know formaldehyde was bad. Or that it's in wood. It's apparently everywhere. How do you get formaldehyde in your desk? Well, you buy expensive desks. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Shouldn't it's expensive terrible. mean formaldehyde free? <laughs> I don't know. But apparently it's like a legitimate issue. They're worried about him being exposed and others being exposed. All right. Contender number three. And I will say this guy is likely to win. Jason Spencer, a oh, Georgia God. state lawmaker who dropped his trouser, trousers and repeatedly used the N-word on an episode of Showtime series Who is America with Sacha Barracoan on Sunday night, he's announced his resignation. So why don't we start with you, Nick? Who had the worst week? If you've seen number three, (laughs) if you've actually seen it, it is one of the most horrific things I have ever seen a quote-unquote politician (laughs) do ever. It was I, 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 I thought it, it had to be a joke. Like yeah. It could not have been the actual person. It had to be somebody in makeup right. or they drugged him or something. <laughs> it was what he's getting these people to do. Didn't Dick Cheney sign like a waterboarding kit or yes, something? Quite happily. <laughs> like it, it's I, 
I don't even know what to make of it anymore. Yeah. It's so bad. It's it's such bad optics. <laughs> I, and I, 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 like I'm without words. It's just terrible. It's so terrible. He runs at the camera just bare-assed, just screaming the N-word. Like, because that's what's supposed to frighten terrorists sca- sca- away. Your, yeah, your bare ass will scare terrorists. Right. <laughs> Which uh, may be effective. But regardless, you don't do it on TV. But how easily he quickly embraces like that. what Cohen is telling you. Like, like you that. should do this. Yeah. <clears throat> Phil, Phil, worst week. <laughs> so I, I'm, I want to say that, first of all, no one should buy Sean Spicer's book. <laughs> it should be ranked lower than 1047th. <laughs> Um, he's a person who seems like if he wanted to sell books, did everything wrong. Yeah. Um, in that he cozied up to Trump and then as soon as he was done, like turned on him and nobody <laughs> likes him. Conservatives don't like him. Liberals don't like him. I'm overjoyed that nobody's buying his book. <laughs> but um, number three is the winner for sure. <laughs> so I, I'm going to ask this. Is there because a, a whole number of people have come out and basically said, uh, I'm going to be on the show and I was <laughs> right. duped. So Sarah Palin and uh, who, somebody else. He had a toddler for gun promotion. Cohen did oh, where yeah. all these Republicans were on board. Some yeah. big names. That was his name. He, it's amazing. Is how it Joe he, Walsh? Yes, Walsh. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I mean, it's, it's a whole host of Republicans who who jump. It's amazing how he can convince but, these individuals to do this. So here's my question. Is is there any part of us that should feel sorry for them? No. No. Why? Well, I mean, so their argument is that it was taken out of context, right? So, like, if, if Dick Cheney, so he signs a waterboarding jug or whatever, right? Is that So, Nick, you have, you have argued in the past that, you know, people should have more of a sense of humor, right? There's an argument to be made that Dick Cheney could have thought, hey, this is a joke. You know, it's not that I love waterboarding or whatever, but this, I'm going to sign it. And so he never thinking that it was going to be like on a worldwide audience. Do so we... is there any part of you that feels at all sympathetic for no. him? No. <laughs> no. Okay. No. I'm just, I'm just you're, you're, a, you're an eminent politician who is attached to this particular point in history. If you can't understand what people are doing in that particular situation, you should look at a jug and just immediately start shaking out of fear, (laughs) thinking that something is going to happen with it. They're going to tie it to you. Is that the jug that they used? Did they put it there for, because I'm here right now. There's no reason that you should ever, ever do something like that. But on top of that, the, the guy, he, he's clear. He clearly has makeup on. Like, yes, he doesn't look like yes. a real person. You're just assholes for not realizing <laughs> that. So I have no sympathy for any of them in what, that situation. Where are the staff people whose bells should be going off saying this doesn't feel right? Right. You know, <laughs> he shouldn't have his pants down. Right. I mean, this should all be have been squashed early on. Yeah. I, I, I feel to Phil's question, I feel a bit sorry, but not that much. Right. I mean, you're a big boy. When you're in these positions, you have to know. And it's one thing to be tricked. I, I think the waterboarding thing, like, uh, that's not so terrible. But when somebody's telling you to say the N word, <laughs> no, waterboarding so is terrible. terrible. But Dick Cheney, like, having him sign it, like, that seems pretty consistent with Dick Cheney's philosophy, right? right? I mean, I think if you ask Dick Cheney to waterboard somebody, he probably would say yes. I don't I don't imagine <laughs> so, Dick Cheney's going to lose a whole lot of sleep over the fact that no, he's going to waterboard no, a jug. absolutely yeah. not. But Jason Spencer, I mean, God, he should. If somebody tells you to drop your pants in any circumstance, the answer is, sorry, that's not going to happen, right? And 
I don't know. And the, the Republicans who were duped into arguing that toddlers should be armed. Well, shame on you for being, to, to echo Nick, right. so stupid. I, I just, I don't know. I think it speaks to our broader partisan times where we feel these need to support whatever the position is, regardless of how insane it might be. Or that politicians are just stupid and just shouldn't be there. That, that could be, too. They well, don't need it. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. There is a sense in my mind of like, you know, the inmates running the asylum to right. some extent, yes. here, right? Like it feels like the leadership of the Republican Party and to some extent, the Democratic Party as well has has ceased being sort of this intellectual conservatism mm -hmm. and has taken on this, you know, Sarah Palin quality. <laughs> right. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, the guy. So the guy who resigned, what was his name? Uh, Jason, Jason Spencer. Did you, yeah. see his, Jason did you see his his argument or his explanation, his defense? <laughs> yes. It was but tell the listeners. He had been threatened because he had advocate or he had opposed the removal of Confederate monuments and he had been threatened for that stance. And he was so afraid for his own life and his family that he wasn't thinking clearly like he was so afraid that he wasn't making good decisions and that this guy came along and offered to teach himself defense. <laughs> he and so he took him up on it. the N word <laughs> I probably know. six or seven times yeah. as loud as he could. And, and if you if you are openly arguing that I was so afraid that I could not make sound judgments, he's a lawmaker. Right, right, right. right. Like, you should not be in any sort of political position if you are not capable of making sound decisions. Right. I agree. I, I don't know. I don't get Showtime. I don't know if I'd want to watch this show because it's it's so awful. Yeah, I can't do it. But the clips are brilliant. Fun. And and you have to be, if anybody, like you said, Phil, earlier, any politician who's on this show is just dreading the week that they're coming up. And I'm sure they don't know. But Sarah Palin and a whole bunch of others are certainly coming up soon. Again, you should know, though. Yeah. You should know what you did or what you shouldn't have done. Right. Like it, it, yeah, this should not even be right. a discussion. The <laughs> fact that anybody fell for this shit fell for this shit quote unquote right. is it's insane yeah no no matter no no amount of persuasion or duping or obfuscation or anything should lead you to the conclusion in this scenario it's okay to yell the n-word right <laughs> right absolutely well, that's that's the other thing he wasn't even prompted to say that he the sasha baron cohen said there's a there's a particular word the n-word that you're not supposed to say in in any circumstance and then he just starts screaming it on right, his own. And right. then he goes, no, the word is noonie. What are you doing? <laughs> right. Like, are you that, insane? That's supposed to scare off terrorists? Yes, <laughs> uh, yeah, something, something like that. So yeah. at that point, he should have realized, oh, man, this is a bad... Or to draw attention to him right. or and something like that. It was like after that. that that he drops his pants, right? So, right. yeah, my brother sent me that clip this morning, and I was like, oh, my goodness, what is, what is going on in the world? I, oh, that weird. was that was not fun. That was depressing. Yes. <laughs> um, is that it? That's so it. We got? we got them all. Oh, it was kind of a long one. Yeah. Um. Yeah. If uh, well, I guess we'll we'll do the plugs before we we do anything else. Um, if you like the podcast, have comments, questions, uh, stuff that you want us to discuss, um, anything like that, follow us on Barstool Politics. Um. Uh, wow. Follow us on Twitter uh, at Barstool Paul, P O L, uh, on Facebook at Barstool Politics. Beers that we try, you can find on the Untapped app on, excuse me, iOS and Android. Oh, God, that was really carbonated. <laughs> um, the podcast itself, you can find on SoundCloud uh, and Stitcher and Google Play Music. 
and most major podcasting platforms. Uh, and then definitely rate us um, and review us on iTunes. That's where most of you guys are. Um, so we appreciate the support on there. Um, anything else that I missed? No, that's great. All right. Glad you're back, Phil. Thanks, thanks Me too. For... I've lost like five pounds of sweat in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate you being in a, uh, a sweat lodge and uh, spying on the Europeans for us. It was very nice of you. Um, yeah, I guess we'll see you guys next week. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers.